Good morning. Uh, as Michael mentioned, my name is B.J. Walbert. Um, had the privilege of serving as one of the uh, staff members and pastors here for uh, a long time, actually over 10 years. Uh, not currently in that role, but my family and I still call Chantilly Bible Church our home. And uh, we are so blessed by this church, not just when we were on staff, not just after, even before that. And uh, um, I'm grateful. If you, if you know me, come say hi. We're here either 9.30 or 11 most weeks with a, a gaggle of children. Um, so come say hi. Uh, yes, my beard is longer. It's grayer, but I'm still the same guy. So come say hi. Uh, if you don't know me, we'd love to get to know you. Just come say hi afterward. But just know that Chantilly Bible Church has, has been such a blessing to our family. We love you. And it's a privilege for me to be able to, to serve you this morning. And uh, as we, we start this morning, I, I do want to begin just with kind of a, a reflection that might help you start to consider some of the things that uh, we're going to talk about. But I'm wondering if you've ever had the experience of knowing someone uh, or knowing about them and then suddenly discovering some new jaw-dropping aspect of their, their personality or their background. So if you've ever been there where you're, you're kind of like, well, I didn't know you did that. You know, you, uh, you were in Home Alone, or I, don't, I have no idea what the thing may be. Um, no, not as many people have that experience with me, by the way, but that's okay. Uh, you may have known, and I, I want to share just one time that that did happen um, a few years ago. Uh, it wasn't somebody I knew personally, but there was a biblical scholar that I became really uh, interested in. I started to read some of his things. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really impressed with this guy. Let me read a little bit more about him, look into his background. And what I found was just astonishing to me. Uh, this man, his name is D.A. Carson. He's still alive and still in ministry. But at that time, I discovered uh, in a 40-year career, he'd written over 50 books, okay? So I don't know if you do math, but that's more than a book a year, all right? And some of us have trouble reading a book in a year, all right? He's out there writing them. But more than that, uh, at the 40-year mark, he had written over 235 articles, most of them academic, scholarly in nature. He'd written 112 book reviews. That means uh, he's reading 112 other books and writing about those. And then, in addition to that, he's editing 46 more books, okay? That is incredible to me. And my jaw just dropped. I was like, I had no idea. I want to read more. And as I started to read more, I began to even respect him more. And I, I went to hear him speak, actually, on one occasion. He said he enjoys woodworking in his spare time, uh, which I have no idea how he has time for that. But uh, I had, I've had similar experiences with other people. You know, so maybe you've had that as well with John Ramirez. He's like, yeah, I, I did an Iron Man yesterday. And you're like, what? Uh, the point is, sometimes, even after we know someone or get to know them more, we come to realize there's a depth to them that we have yet to fully experience. And, and when we do discover it's there, we want it more. We want to press into it. And I'm wanting to talk to you this morning to help you understand that Jesus ought to be exactly the same kind of experience, where the more we get to know him, the more we realize is there the deeper we want to go. And it's a privilege that we're in this sermon series encountering Jesus uh, because I think that we get as a church to experience that all summer long where we're really encountering him week to week and realizing there's so much more there than maybe we've ever realized. 
And I'm excited to be a part of that journey today and to open God's Word with you this morning. We're going to talk about uh, Jesus and the storm in Mark chapter 4. So if you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. In a minute, I'll read from the English Standard Version this text. It'll also be on the screen. Um, but I do think it's important that you open it. Um, there's, uh, whether it's on your phone or in a Bible, there's nothing that I can say this morning that is as important or as valuable as what God has already said to us in his word. Um, and there's no cheats in the back as well. Uh, it's pretty simple, just four bullet points, and they're all blank, so you're not missing too much. But I do encourage you both this week and other weeks to grab one of those. There's a study guide on the back. It can be really helpful for you as you seek to continue encountering Jesus in the word. Uh, but for now, let's uh, listen as I read from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 41. I invite you to follow along. Here's what it says. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Now, uh, before we dive into our outline for the morning, I want to draw your attention to some features of this text, um, stuff that may not be immediately noticeable. It uses something known as the historical present tense as the story unfolds, and that's just a fancy way of saying he talks as if it's happening right then, okay? And, and Mark does that. It's unique, uh, choosing to use the present tense verb. And you may have experienced this before if you've ever had a friend that's really dramatic and they're talking about a cheeseburger they had, and then all of a sudden they're in the present tense eating it again. All right, it's like, and, and I bit into it, and it was the best thing, and you're kind of rolling your eyes. This is way cooler than a cheeseburger. That's the good news. Um, the point is, is that as someone enters into that story, if they were really there, they, they start to tell it in that way. It's, it bears all the marks of an eyewitness account. And you may not see that in the English translations. Uh, and most scholars believe that while Mark wrote this gospel, he probably wasn't there. And, and it's passages like this one, it happens elsewhere as well, that he's basing it on eyewitness accounts, probably of Peter. Um, you can observe other small clues in the details, like uh, the time of day, it's evening. There's other boats around with them, or the, there's a cushion that Jesus was asleep on. If you look at the other accounts of this passage, uh, because it is in some of the other gospels, those details are not there. And so you... you kind of get to see this story come alive in your imagination a little bit more. And I hope that's what you feel as you realize that this, this content is there. And I, I'm afraid that a lot of times in a story like this one, we may have heard it before, uh, we can become distant from the story, right? The storm, yeah, there was a storm. It doesn't really come to life in our minds in the same ways that it ought to. But we need to realize the the characters, the people, the places, they're all real. It should arrest our attention. And so, you know, you, you hear about the Sea of Galilee. That's a real place in the northern part of Israel. 
the boat was uh, based on excavations about 30 feet long, which is about the size of this stage. Um, that's probably the size that it was. Uh, based on excavations of similar boats, probably had four people that rode it. A deck in the front, a deck in the back that you could kind of tuck under and sleep, and that's where Jesus was. And sudden storms on this lake, Sea of Galilee, would happen because it's, it's down low on the ground, there's these gorges around, and hot air and cold air will mix together and cause really sudden storms to happen, even today. And some of them are particularly violent as well. And I share all that background because if we can just enter for a moment into the reality of this story and understand these disciples really feared for their lives and there really was a storm that they had no control over that Jesus calmed, it reframes it for us. We, we don't want to just put it at a distance and say, okay, Jesus did this, it's over. We don't want to flatten their experience as characters. We want to do a work, identify with them, experience the emotional depth of this story. But I will warn us, even once we do that, once we grasp that the storm is real, once we empathize with the emotions of the disciples, as we come alongside them in fearing for their lives, the heart of this story still lies elsewhere. And I hope to show you that by the end of today. To do that, I want to meditate on four reflections from this passage. Um, I hope you'll follow along with them. Um, but just very simple outline today helping us meditate on the truths of this story. And the first reflection I have for us is this, is that even after becoming disciples, Jesus invites us to continually encounter him. Even after becoming disciples, Jesus invites us to continually encounter him. That's the story that was true for the disciples in this story. To be a disciple means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, and that begins at a moment in time. And, and you see that moment in time for these characters back in chapter 1. So zoom out for a minute with me. Look at Mark 1 through 4. You see these disciples encountering Jesus not just once, but again and again and again. And you'll realize that particularly Simon Peter, by the way, is at the center of a lot of these encounters. So in chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, you see Simon and his brother Andrew. They're called by Jesus to follow him. And it's on the shores of this very lake, the Sea of Galilee. So they leave behind a life as fishermen, and soon uh, their buddies James and John, who are also fishermen, join them. And that's just right at the start of Mark. But that initial encounter, that initial decision to follow Jesus is then followed up by more encounters. So in uh, verses 21 through 24, you see Jesus delivering many people from sickness, healing them, even delivering them from demon possession. And, and Jesus, one of the people actually he heals is Simon's mother-in-law. You see that. And so uh, they, they experience this up close and personal. Uh, crowds are starting to gather. That's when the paralytic gets healed in Mark chapter 2. They lower the guy through the roof. Mike talked about that last week. All the disciples are there. And larger and larger crowds keep coming. And he chooses, though, 12 apostles, 12 particular men. Among them are Peter, Andrew, James, John, Levi, others that we've talked about in this sermon series. And, and they're set apart in a special way. Where, where they can continue to get to know Jesus. And, and as you see them gathered in chapter 4, uh, they're, they're hearing the teaching that Jesus gives to the multitudes, but he's taking them aside afterward and explaining at a deeper level, here's, here's what's happening. Here's what, here's what these parables mean. Here's how they apply to your lives. And I, I share all of that to say, okay, yes, these disciples decided to follow Jesus, but then they're invited to continue encountering him, to continue knowing him more and more. And they're 
pressed ever deeper into this question that Mark presents us with. It's who is Jesus? He puts that in front of them again and again. says, who am I? After that initial decision on the banks of Galilee to say, I'm no longer a fisherman, I'm a follower, they're asked to continually encounter our Savior. He's disclosing himself again and again. And I wonder, do we realize that Jesus is making that same invitation of us? Do you realize that like these disciples, he wants us to know and comprehend who he really is and what he has come to do and that that is a never-ending journey? It never stops. One of my favorite verses about Jesus is at the end of John's gospel. Right? John wrote his gospel later than the other authors. He's at the very end of what he's written. And in chapter 21, verse 25, he says this, now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Isn't that beautiful? That's who Jesus is. And if you think, all right, I just decided to become a Christian and that's the end of the story, we're missing out on the depth of his character, of his person, of his identity as God. I'm afraid that a lot of us, even gathered here on a Sunday morning, we don't act as if this were true. You see, there's a danger. We can talk about Jesus without really encountering him. We can be around church, or other people that call themselves Christians, and yet we are failing to seek this one whom we sing about, whom we talk about, whom we pray to. And so we don't understand who he truly is, or else we think we've done enough to get to where we want to be. And I'll admit, I've fallen into that trap before. And some of you may be even in that trap now, but don't fall for it and don't settle there. The example of these disciples in Mark show us that Jesus is meant to be continually encountered, that Jesus is continually showing himself to us, and we're invited to ever know and trust him more fully. And are you willing to step into that journey? You know, part of our mission statement as a church is to make fully devoted followers of Christ who love God and love others. That's, that's something that continues. And God willing, we will do that well and continue into eternity. But how do you do that, you may ask? Well, I think there's uh, a lot of ways that Jesus does that, but the particular one that I want to focus on is what he does in this story. As weak and distracted disciples, he says, all right, I think they still need to know more. So he does the obvious thing. He leads them into a storm. And that's the next reflection. Jesus is orchestrating a difficult and even dangerous circumstance to test and increase their faith. For them to have that deeper encounter with Jesus. You see, you look back at chapter 4, and it's clear that this has been a long day. right? Jesus has been teaching them about himself all day long, explaining things to them. He's been in this boat all day, and it's probably the same boat they end up going out on. And whose idea is it to go out to sea? Jesus. Look at verse 35. He, Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side. And we'll focus more in the end at how Jesus is God, and so he knows the storm is coming. But just get it in your mind that even though he knew it was coming, that's exactly where he wanted to lead the disciples. 
He knows there's a storm. He knows it's dangerous. He knows it's going to threaten them. But that's exactly where they needed to be in order to encounter him more fully. It's the same for us as well. Jesus orchestrates difficult and even dangerous circumstances in your life and my life so that we will seek him. He's testing and increasing our faith through this process. And I I will say, as you observe Jesus, the storm is coming. He seems to have this perfect peace. He sleeps through part of it, which nobody has any idea how he does. And it has everything to do with the fact that he's 100% God. They don't understand that yet. But if you shift focus to the disciples, right? Jesus at peace, what's the disciples' response? Exact opposite. He's uh, 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 brought them out onto the lake. And I find this really interesting. What are those first four disciples in the book of Mark, right? Peter, Andrew, James, John. What do they do? They're fishermen right? They grew up on this lake, on boats, the Sea of Galilee. This is their place. They're fishermen by trade. And if you read Mark carefully, by the way, you realize there's three different places where they have really significant encounters with Jesus on boats on this lake. It happens a lot. And if you go to the other gospels, you realize that all the time Jesus is kind of bringing them back to this spot and disrupting their world a little bit, and they're able to encounter him in new ways. Why do you think that is? Let me suggest this to you. That this is a place where the disciples felt comfortable. This is a place where they felt like they were in control. Experienced. Boat on a lake, been there, done that. Sure, Jesus, will go to the other side. But it's that exact area that Jesus needed to to disrupt if Peter and his friends are going to take this next step in knowing him and understanding him more fully. And just realize that hardship, difficult circumstances, trials, even dangerous circumstances may be coming in areas where we feel in control so that we can encounter Jesus more. And so we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus leads us into it. Let me ask you, where do you feel like a master of your domain? Where do you feel really in control? Right? Is it your job? Something you're really great at? got a great career, doing well? Is it school? Are you an excellent student? Is it some sport you play? Some place where you feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm out here, I know what I'm doing. Your hobbies, your home, maybe it's some relationship, a marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is. Those areas are ones that God might allow testing to come in so that you will encounter him more fully and understand it. God's bringing things into this area, not because he just wants you to experience hard times, but so that your faith will be tested and grow as a result. God's goodness and purpose in these trials is always present. He wants to test and increase the faith of the disciples. He wants to test and increase our faith as well. And I I want you to keep in mind that testing and increasing your faith doesn't mean that the storm automatically goes away. D.A. Carson, he's the, uh, the author I told you about right at the start of this sermon. He's writing about this story in, that occurs in Luke, and he reminded me as I prepped this week of the fact that faith is not the inevitability of a happy ending. That's not the lesson here. That's not what the passage is trying to teach. It's not that the storm will automatically go away. He continues, storms do kill people. 
Cancer can take out a 15-year-old. Accidents happen. Good people die. And to think otherwise is to display not faith in Jesus, but Pollyanna-ish optimism. And that's a hard rebuke. But it's true. Because you think there's two people in this story, right? There's Jesus and the disciples. Two different responses to the storm. Jesus completely calm while the storm is still going on. The disciples are freaking out both before and after the storm. Whose example are you thinking we're supposed to emulate there? The one with peace in the midst of the storm, whether it's still going on or not. This passage is teaching us that God allows storms into your life, into my life, so that we will more fully understand who Jesus is. And the author... Jesus himself is teaching us that we should trust him completely no matter what. That's the lesson here. Carson says it this way, genuine disciples display their faith when they so broadly recognize who Jesus is that they trust him in all circumstances. Storms or not. Do you have eyes to see that Jesus will allow the difficult, even dangerous circumstances in your life so that your faith can be tested and increased. And that leads us to a third reflection, also from Mark 4. Encounters with Jesus leave us exposed, but he is full of compassion and mercy. What do I mean by exposed here? Well, how do the disciples come out looking in this passage? Not great. They're seafaring experts, supposedly, but they're terrified. There's an accusation against Jesus in verse 38, right? They're they're not too thrilled with Jesus and his decision to sleep here. They say, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And, and by the way, I'm not really sure what they expected. You know, Jesus was a carpenter, not a fisherman. They were the ones with the uh, supposed expertise. They don't really understand who he is yet. So I think they're, they're just speaking out of anger and fear and frustration. Has that ever happened to you? Do anger, fear, difficult circumstances ever reveal something that's not great inside of you? That's certainly, I think, part of the human experience. Is we, we go through difficult times and the ugly parts of us get exposed. And you can think, not only do like the sinful parts of you, the, the areas where you're wrong about something get exposed, but just your, your own relationship with God and its frailty get exposed. Do you doubt God's goodness? The disciples did. You might be going through something even right now and you're saying, I'm not sure God's really there for me. Or maybe your relationship with God is based entirely on going to him with your problems. God, I just want you to fix this for me. But that's not the kind of encounter Jesus is inviting us into. That's why he chides the disciples. I came across a a good little book in prep for this. It's a a Reflections on the Book of Mark from J.C. Ryle. And I love this quote that he gives us uh, in his reflections on Mark 4. He says, by affliction, he, Jesus, shows us our emptiness and weakness. He shows us our emptiness and weakness. Do you realize that God may be bringing this storm into your life so that you might realize you do not have it all together? 
so that you can realize your frailty. It's okay to feel that way. Because, the quote goes on, it's, he shows us our emptiness and weakness, but through it he draws us to the throne of grace. He purifies our affections, he weans us from the world, and makes us long for heaven. You see, Jesus is exposing us through these difficult circumstances sometimes, but he's also healing us too. He's bringing us to a place where we can rely and trust in him more fully. You see, there, there is maybe a, a note of rebuke in Mark 440, but I don't think it's a strong one. It says, you know, where is your faith? It, it's not Jesus saying, oh, I'm, I'm never going to get through to you guys. It's him saying, I want your faith to grow. I want you to realize that I am worthy of your faith, whether the storm is here or it isn't. Ryle concludes his reflection on Mark 4 with this observation. We may be very weak and frail and unstable, but if we can truly say that we do come to Christ and believe on him, we may take comfort. The question for conscience to answer is not, are we perfect? The question is, are we real and true in our approaches to Christ? Do we truly repent and believe? Because that is what Jesus is after. Our full trust in him. Our full repentance from our sin and our selfishness. And so you may be having some trial in your life right now, and you feel like you are a failure. That you are exposed but it's in that place that Jesus is full of compassion and mercy saying, put your faith in me. I'm the one whom you're looking for. Do you realize that he's there with open arms? And that's what I want to end on today is this reflection that this story is not really about anyone except Jesus. I challenge you to reframe this story. Who can command the storm? And it didn't show up. There's supposed to be a question mark at the end of that. Who can command the storm? You see, asking them about their faith, in doing that, Jesus has challenged the disciples to realize that he is the one in whom they should be trusting. It's not their, their fisherman's experience, their, their seafaring expertise. It's him alone. You see, Mark 4, is, it's continuing a trend that began earlier in the book of Mark and that Mike preached about last week. In, in last week's sermon on Mark 2, we found the paralytic being healed and, and the readers are confronted with the question there, who can forgive sins but God alone? And there's a similar question now at the end of the passage in Mark 4. Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And it's a question with the obvious answer left hanging in the air. Only God can do this. And so the answer is Jesus is God. But, but to state that truth as you know, Jesus is God kind of cuts through the drama that we're being walked through here. Jesus has, has led them into the storm. They actually fear for their lives. He's disrupted their comfort, and he's forcing them to shift their paradigm. A paradigm where, where they understood and where, hey, I, I, I can navigate this to... Jesus is the only person that matters. You see, this Bible passage, this story, is not really about the disciples. We think that it might be, but it's not. It's not really about storms. 
And this story is certainly not an allegory for our own emotional experiences. This story is about the one who made the wind and the waves. And it's a story about him inviting us to know him and understand him more. You see, the trap we often fall into when talking about Jesus is that we put ourselves and our experiences at the center of it all rather than Jesus himself. We actually invert what we're supposed to be doing when we encounter God. We say, okay, here's, here's my story and my needs, and we're going to see how God fits into that. No, 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 Jesus is saying it's the other way around. And I love the way Walt Russell speaks to this issue. Uh, he says this about the Gospels in general, and it certainly applies to this story. He says, when, the, when I say the Gospels are about Jesus, this does not mean they do not give us any insight into ourselves or have significance and application to our lives. Of course they do. However, the Gospels were written primarily to tell us about who Jesus is, what he did, and why he is the only true object of our faith. If we change this focus, we distort the very essence of the Gospels. By making the Gospels more about ourselves, we ironically lessen their transforming impact on us, on our lives. Because the more we learn about Jesus Christ, the more we will entrust ourselves to him as his disciples. When we put Jesus at the center of the story, that's when things really change. So we need to reframe this story and whatever story it is you're experiencing with Christ at the center. Who can command the storm? Jesus. He's the only one that can do what God can do. Jesus tells the storm to stop, and it does, because the commands are spoken by the same voice that spoke all things into being. The wind and the waves have no choice but to obey. And when you realize what Jesus has done there, he doesn't give them these neat and tidy answers. He doesn't say, okay, look, you do this and I'll do this. He's leaving them with fear and penetrating questions that are causing them to reevaluate their entire lives in light of who he is. And we don't often do that in church. As an experiment, we're doing it to your children this morning and we're going to send them back to you in fear and trembling. Um, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But, but as adults, right, we we do need to be willing to experience difficult, dangerous circumstances and realize, man, God's trying to get our attention here. And he's trying to reveal more of himself. And once we grasp who he is, that may even be more astounding than the storm we've been experiencing. So ask yourself, yes, are there storms in my life? Are there areas where I previously felt in control, where I, I had some semblance of like, I know what I'm doing, and, and God's disrupted that? That might be the exact spot where Jesus is trying to get you to encounter him. And even then, realize this is not really about you and your story or your experience. This, this passage is not asking you to picture you what your storm is, even though God is using your storms. It's asking you to realize, along with the disciples, that this storm is actually under the command of God himself, Jesus Christ. 
that the one who spoke the wind and the waves, that spoke your very existence and all of your circumstances into being is right there with you if you'll only open your eyes and see him and encounter him. And that encounter is the one that can last for eternity for us. We're meant to look squarely at Jesus with wonder and awe to encounter him as God and as a result to trust him no matter what. Your storm may still be going on. Whatever you experienced last week or this morning or tomorrow may still be there. But do you know who's there with you? The creator of the world who loves you. And he may have even led you into this moment, not to hurt you or make you frustrated, but to expose your weakness and to create an opportunity for you to trust him no matter what. And I pray that you will take that opportunity and you do that by, by leaning into who Jesus reveals himself to be in his word. That's why we gather here. That's why we have this sermon series. That's why we have Sunday school classes where you can press deeper into that. But even more, that's why we ask you to be diving into God's word and praying on your own because that's where you're going to encounter the Savior who loves you and who is with you in any storm. I hope that you'll press more into that journey, not just today, but for the rest of your lives. And if you've never done it before, if you've never started that journey and trusted Jesus, know that it begins with a simple act of faith and that Jesus is inviting you into that belief now. As the praise team comes forward, let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Our own words, our own reflections seem so pale in comparison to what you've already revealed and to the reality and the power of who Jesus is and what he did on this day 2,000 years ago. But as we read this story, as we reflect on it, we thank you for what it says to us. We thank you even more that it is revealing Jesus Christ. God incarnate, breaking into our world, exposing our frailty, but inviting us to trust him in any circumstance, to know that he is not only able to save us, but worthy of our worship and our praise. Help us not to be proud, to think that we deserve a life without storms. Instead, Lord, help us see that no matter what we're experiencing, you are inviting us to follow you to know you ever more deeply. Help us to dive into your word, to seek after you there, and to know that you are ever faithful and true. It's trusting in that name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.